0: Pastor, as we pick up in Acts chapter 22, we're going to start off and we're going to read. um, We're going to start off with verse 17 and we're going to go to the end and just see how far the Lord takes us this morning. That's uh, Acts chapter 22, verse 17. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Make haste, and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging that he might know wherefore they cried so against him, and as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, "Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned?" When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, "Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman." Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered with a great sum, Obtained I this freedom? And Paul said, But I was born free. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty where... For he was excused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. You notice all the way now into a whole another chapter to the last verse, Paul is still not released. They still hold him. And we see here, we were looking last week, we're going to look again this morning, we didn't finish the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And basically this new sect of Judeo-Christians, posed a real problem. And Paul would have to make haste to get out of Jerusalem. He prayed in the temple, and following his conversion, he would have obviously stayed in Jerusalem, but Christ, as always, he is in full control of our lives. He said no. Have you ever had that ever happen to you as a Christian in your life, where you wanted something so bad and he said no? No. And that happens. I don't think people that don't know the Lord know where to go with that. When something happens that they want so bad that they will even make these promises to the Lord. Lord, I'll do this and I'll do that for you if you'll just do this. And then the Lord says, no. Maybe it's a a loved one that dies or a job they don't get or something. And then all of a sudden, basically, they're just like, all right, forget you, Lord. Forget it. And that's what happens. But we see through Scripture what's so important to read Scripture. And on every level in our life, it applies to every area that we have. Because you will see example after example after example where there were people that wanted to do things in the worst way, and the Lord said no. What about Moses? We see all these epic movies and all these wonderful things about Moses. And he is wonderful. He was awesome. But the whole beginning of his ministry started out with him saying no, 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 no to God. Five times. Five objections he had. How will they hear me? Who am I? I thought that was a good question. He says, who am I? And I think that was a very humble question. Lord, who am I to do this? I'm nothing. The Lord said, you're going to do it. And and Moses' whole life was uprooted because he said no. He thought he was just going to probably go back with Jethro and the family, live out his older years. Try to be very calm and patient. And the Lord said, no, you're just getting started. And what happened with Paul here is something that I think we need to take a real close look at. If we go back into verse 18, it says, of course, verse 17, we just read that. It came to pass that when I was come to Jerusalem, let's start at 17. And even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem. Now, what this means here is if you take this and you look at it with the, with the, uh, uh, the logistics, Paul thought at the very beginning, considering where he was trained, because anybody when reading this and what we talked about last week, can anybody give, an, give a little bit of an idea or maybe what Paul was thinking here? Anybody have an understanding of what the problem was? There's a problem. There's a real conflict here. What, is it, the, the, what, what, what did Paul want to do? give you a clue. What did it look like he really wanted to do, Matt? Right, right, right at his conversion. At his conversion, he spoke to the Lord, and it seems that he wanted to do something a little different that the Lord wanted him to do. No, he wanted to stay where his education was. He thought that he could stay right in Jerusalem where he was trained by Gamaliel and he could work with the local apostles instead of now working with the Pharisees. He could help build the churches there and he could encourage them. Paul had received a commission to go to the Gentiles. He told, the Lord told Paul that it was of no good pers- purpose for him to remain in Jerusalem at the period of time after Christ called him, Paul speaks of Jerusalem here in chapter 22 and speaks about it often. And he very most likely had come to Jerusalem early on full hopes to bring those to faith in Christ who he persecuted. Perhaps to show true genuine repentance and remorse to aid now in the Christian church with the other apostles and overseers. He no doubt thought that having an education in Jerusalem would make him a suitable candidate for the ministry in and around the temple. But Christ is showing him Going to the Gentiles is God's timing, as there was great upheaval in Jerusalem the, of the venom of the Pharisees, and also the fear of the persecuted church. So you remember when Paul gets saved, he had two problems: the Pharisees wanted to kill him because now he's mentioning the name of Christ, and the persecuted church, the Christians, they were scared to death of him. So the Lord said, "You need to get out of here." And why? Why? Why was it ultimate? Why was it an ultimate objective? For Paul to have to go to the Gentiles. Because the Lord said it in the Old Testament. He said there is are going to be prophets. There will be those that are going to reach out to the Gentiles. And for all of us sitting here once again, I'm very glad that he did that. We're Gentiles. You know, I talked to someone yesterday. I talked to someone yesterday. They're a Jew. And it's is remi- very reminiscent of what's going on here. This is happening today. Don't think this is some old legend that happened hundreds and thousands of years ago and everything is different now. This person told me, we started talking about the Lord, and they told me specifically, I do not believe, they said word for word, that Jesus Christ is my Savior. That's what they said. I don't believe, and, I'll, and, I, and, and, and basically the way they said it was I'll never believe that He's my Savior and that He is a Savior. And so I, t- I said, you know, in John, I believe it's John fifteen twenty one. Christ said, if you hate me, you hate my Father, because the Jews claim to love God, but not Jesus. But if you reject Him as a Savior, you hate Him. And she came back and she was a little upset and said, I would never hate Jesus. Well, if you say He's not your Savior, you've already said you've hated Him. There's no, there's no neutrality there. If He's not your Savior, you hate Him, you've rejected Him. And that happens a lot today. A lot of people... Well, I heard a message last week. It was a very good message. And I was listening to it. It was more of a teaching kind of a lesson. And the guy has a real deep Scottish accent. And he was talking about the problem with Christianity today. Is people do not want to hold an exclusive, singular Savior. They don't want to just say that one person is their salvation. And It's not a person. We know that our Lord is God and it's, there's an exclusivity there that they don't want. There's got to be more ways to heaven than just believing in the blood of Jesus Christ. To me, that's just utterly, uh, 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 that's utterly gut-wrenching to, to, to know that people think that. But even in his own church in the ministry, he has found that even in his own church, there are people that don't they they love to they love to see Jesus as a teacher, as a good man. He died on the cross, but he's not the ultimate weight and truth in the life. That most people believe. here Paul is now teaching this, and he's really facing the fire. And it's amazing how many times he mentions Jerusalem. Over and over and over again. He's back at Asia Minor and he keeps telling the people, I've got to get to Jerusalem. And that was a very long, um, a, a very long uh, uh, a boat ride from Asia Minor all the way to Syria and then get into Jerusalem. He was fighting like a, with this like flint set to Jerusalem to get there because there was so much to do even knowing that he was facing possible death. Lisi. Right. Because I think people like Nancy Pelosi, Joe Ryan, George Soros, Marbuff, and all of these people locate turning and proclaiming Jesus and the Savior of the world. that to me just blows my mind. But that's I guess you people read this so much. We don't really think the magnitude of what that really was. That's right. It's very amazing and his public enemy number one. That left the options. The only option Paul had is the the direction, which is all we should ever have as a Christian, is the direction of the Holy Spirit. And here the Holy Spirit is leading him. He wanted to stay in Jerusalem. And we know as we read back in the several chapters ago that the Lord wanted him to go to the Gentiles. That's exactly what he did. And so that's a very good point. But Paul steps it up a notch. And I want to go back to this because it's here. And it's here for us to learn it says in verse 19, he says, And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue Then them that believed. Every synagogue? He was pretty proficient in his marketing technique for the Pharisees, going to every synagogue, beating the Christians. And then he says, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. There was great persecution against that church. He he holds the cloaks of the killers of Stephen as he was in his pre-conversion state. And at the time, the state of the church or the laity were scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria. And there's great persecution. And Paul had actually fled to the countryside at the time. The Jewish council had been very furious and gnashing their teeth against Stephen, and this is a real connection to what's happening to Paul here. They're no different. They say, as we read here, away with him, away with him, kill him, away with him. I don't think you know, I would like to just kind of like hop on board with what Lisi was saying and step it up also, maybe a tiny notch. And she's talking about how if we saw some of these wicked people, if they would be converted, and how the Well very hard hard to believe. But you know, back in that time, when someone like that is converted, it's even it must have been very difficult to believe. Because one thing we've never experienced here in the United States of America in our era, we've never experienced public executions. We've never seen that. This to them was like a regular thing. To have somebody being Publicly crucified, and the Romans would want people to look at that to send a message to them and There was all kind of ways that they carried out these horrible these these absolute horrible executions. I mean he talked about the Spanish Inquisition and some of the implements they used to, to, to kill Christians and to kill and, to, and, and and for the martyrs and all and it 's just unbelievable and Here Paul is in the midst of all of this; he knows as a Pharisee. He knows that they're working with the Romans, that he had perfect protection when he was there. And he gives all of that up because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the way Stephen was. Think about Stephen. We go back a little, back to chapter 8. Here's Stephen. He had plenty of time and he was able, he was given the floor to speak before they unjustly tried him and punished him. Why? God also, just like Paul, is sending a message to the council and he's speaking through Stephen and he preached. You go back and you see him preaching. Pastor. Here with the conversion of Paul, we can see that anybody can get saved. Amen.
1: That's right. And that's one thing. Another thing is, here, uh, you know, a big thing, as we're getting into here, for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. And the thing is, is that the New Testament talks about that time and time again. Mm. And the New Testament talks about the word all. Mm. All, all, you know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. All And that's the big thing there. All is Jews and Gentiles. It's not every single person that ever lived. Right. You know, some people, some Baptists like to say all means all, and that's all it all means. Right. But uh, that's not exactly true. All here in the New Testament so often means including the Gentiles, Jews, and Gentiles.
0: Amen. That's a great point. And all I. Correct me if I'm wrong, but all means that Christ's blood is sufficient for all. But the question also, as what Pastor Olson is saying is brilliant. A lot of people say that there were no Gentiles in the Old Testament that had any entrance into heaven because they were not inclusive Jews or exclusive Jews. Is that true? We could see that in the ushering of the Gentiles, there were Gentiles in the Old Testament that were saved. Remember, Uriah was one And there we can name many of them, but that's a great statement because none of us can sit back and say we deserve to be saved. We're all sinners saved by grace. But the Lord does He open up salvation for all? Well, if Paul was saved, and then but you know, going with Pastor Olson is saying it just brings to mind how many times Paul went back to these times and he was wrenched in his heart over the horrible things that he had done. He showed remorse. He showed repentance all throughout his ministry. He always called himself the least of the apostles. I'm the one that I'm the one that drugged the Christians in. Peter didn't do that. He said John the beloved didn't do that. Perhaps Thomas didn't do that, or some of the other disciples and all. I did it, and he always made it very clear I did that. And I not only did I harm them, I killed them. And so. That plays right into what we're talking about here, because his objective was to try to make that right himself in Jerusalem. He was trying to atone for what happened to Stephen, which we're going to get back into Stephen here in a minute. And the Lord said, no. The Lord said, it's too much of a hotbed. You're going to have to get going. You're going to have to go to these other places. And it was a wonderful thing for Paul to do that, wasn't it? Look at the people that he met. Look at the wonderful people that he met along the way. He met Cornelius. He met the four daughters of Philip. He was there with Agabus and many others. Silas was with him. He had Timothy that he had been his like young apprentice. And all the while you see all these little pieces coming together and connections where the Lord uses Paul in all these areas. And that's what we do in our Christian life. These things happen out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. A couple days ago, or yesterday morning, I go to the dump. There's a... There's a there's a, uh, uh, an older gentleman, colored man. He wears a cross around his neck. And I go over Every time I go over there, this all started about a year ago. Every time he sees me, he starts quoting scripture. And, and I quote scripture. We stand there back and forth, and sometimes the line backs we say, Hey, we got to go. And so he, he said, don't ever forget Psalm 23. That's the greatest psalm. And he goes, he goes uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I'll, I'll not want. And then we started quoting that back. You never know how the Lord's going to use you. And he's over there, he works there at the dump all, he's there. Safeway. Yeah. Brother James, over there, man stands there and he preaches to people. And he stands there, I'm telling you, behind the register. I know I've said it before, I'm sorry for being repetitive. But you walk in there, he doesn't even look. If I walk in, he doesn't just look at me and think, well, he's got... He stands there and he quotes scripture to the whole line hears him. And he's got on his car, he has King James Bible verses in magnets about this big, all over his car. I mean, it's like they're, they're wallpapered. And it, the one says, uh, and then he has a bumper sticker that says, is something to the effect of, about being a sinner, is, it, is eternity worth being wrong about? He has that on there. And, you know, there's people out there. You just never know what's going to happen. And this is the way Paul was. Here he thinks he needs to stay in Jerusalem. The Lord says no. He goes out. Does Paul remain miserable? And he's kicking and screaming like Jonah and saying, Lord, I hate this. I want to get back to Jerusalem. No, the whole time he just keeps going. And the whole time the Lord blesses him along the way. And along the way he heals a man from the dead. I think that was worth it. Remember Eutychus? Remember that? And he heals heals Eutychus from the dead. And I'm just going back because here Scripture is going back. And now Paul has taken us back to Stephen. And I've always loved Stephen. Stephen, he is like a New Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. He was unruffled by the council. He was firm in his faith and he delivers this wonderful confession of faith. He goes back and he recounts the history of the Jews and he talks all about Moses and Abraham and Isaac. He tell, gives an Old Testament like a walkthrough. This is a trial, this is a tribulation. Stephen's facing this as a young man. Here's some questions about Stephen. You know, then this, this really, I think this is very important to talk about this because Paul thought it was important to mention it. Was he married? Did he have kids? he 's a very young man we don 't know we don 't get those details, but one thing for, for, for sure, he was completely plucked out of his, his, his administration, where he was an he was an evangelist deacon, and it shows how important a deaconship is in a church and We have two very solid, good deacons, and it 's very wonderful to have good, hardworking, solid deacons because it 's difficult to get them out of all the Christians. And all the problems the Christian church was facing, they could only come up with seven men to elect. The elders presented them and the congregation voted, and there were seven deacons. Because of the administration of the tables of the Greek speaking widowed Jews, there was a problem there. And so they presented seven deacons. Philip was one of them, Stephen was one of them. Stephen didn't last as a deacon for maybe maybe a few weeks. As soon as we see him that he's been presented as a deacon, he's murdered. And Paul standing there holding the cloaks of the men. This is a trial, a tribulation. The Jews exploded against Stephen. And at the height of Stephen's defense, he could see Christ standing up on his throne. Can you imagine that? What that must have looked like. And this is when the Jews unleashed on this this horrible terror, and they were trying to kill him, and they did. To them, Stephen's words, as Paul's words, are inflammatory. And, they, and then they cut between bone and marrow and flesh. They were stinging words with bars on them, they thought. It cut to the very heart of the listeners, and you would have thought they'd have all dropped down and they would have submitted to Jesus Christ, and it, they didn't. See, you either go towards Christ, you go, if you go away from Him, the more you go away from Him, the more you'll hate Him. That's satanic. And that's what they did. They hated it. And so they start gnashing their teeth. And what does the Lord say? What does Jesus say over and over again in the New Testament about the horrible, dark, wicked fury of those that are sent to hell? There's a weeping and a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of the teeth is something to really pay attention to. The weeping and the wailing is bad enough. The gnashing of the teeth, it shows a hate for God. It shows no remorse, no repentance, and that's what these Pharisees showed. They showed absolutely no remorse for what they were about to do. Stephen had no counsel, Paul has no counsel. They had no he had no attorney, he had no due process, he had no trial, nothing. This is an aerial assault from the heavens. Christ is rising in his defense, and Christ is his primary paraclete. Standing next to Stephen. He's our advocate with the Father. He's our defense attorney. And Stephen sees him before he's about to leave this earth. You know who he reminds me of? (laughs) There's a lot of people you've got to bring up. But when I think of Stephen, I think of a man in the Revolutionary War who only lived to be 20 years old, and his name was Nathan Hale. Does anybody remember that name? Remember that, Marianne? He's a young man, very faithful, 20 years old. And that's it. Nathan Hale. Stephen. It reminds me of the great Revolutionary War here at Nathan Hale. He went to New York with William Heath's brigade and is said to have participated in the capture of a provision sloop from under the guns of a British man-of-war. This means that there was a single a, a sloop was a single-masted boat that was carrying, bringing in all these munitions, and somehow Nathan Hale got word of it. And when he did, when his commanding officer told him to spy. Hale was captured on September the 21st, twenty-first, seventeen seventy-six by the British while attempting to return to his re- regiment, having penetrated the British lines on Long Island to obtain information. And they took him, they gave him absolutely no due process. He was not taken to jail. He was not, he had no defense, nothing. They took him and immediately hung him. And they said that actually there was quotes from the from the British officers that said they had never seen a man with so much composure and peace. He loved the Lord, Nathan Hale did. And his words were, I only regret regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. And I can only imagine that's what Paul's sentiment was in Stephen's also. "I I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my Lord. You know, I think that's incredible because that's in essence what Nathan Hale was saying because they're going into a situation to build a Christian nation. And it was founded on good good, Scotch-Irish Presbyterian pastors, many of them were, and they loved the Lord. That's our history. Don't ever let these liars out there talk bad about our forefathers. They're liars. They're all liars. They were not racists. They were not terrorists. They had integrity, which is what none of these people out here have. Anybody that talks about critical race, they have no integrity, none. These men, these were good men. If you are in Christ, you have Christ as an advocate before the Father. We <clears throat> see, even Stephen laid absolutely no sin to their charge. Always remember, and Paul was going to find this out very soon the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this was the first seed who was watched over by Christ himself in full view in the face of danger. And there was never a flinch. There, there, we, we hear of absolutely no cowardice and no fear at all from Stephen. Um, can someone look up Matthew chapter 24 and read verses 11 to 13, please? Matthew 24, 11 to 13. This is what Christ had said. Can you read verse 13? Amen. Stephen endured to the end, didn't he? Paul will endure to the end. Are we going to endure to the end, or are we going to turn our backs on Jesus? So the laity was driven out with the blessing of the apostles. Paul had gone after them, and he's given a great commission. And we see the first expansion of the early Christian church was accomplished by the people of the way, Paul was being sent to these people of the way, and as Pastor Olson said, they could be Gentiles, they could be Jews. There were Greek-speaking Jews. There could be Greeks. There could be Romans. Were there any Romans that were saved? Well, Paul was. Well, I mean, there's there's so so many ways of uh, seeing the the wonderful blessings of the Lord. We go back and we see how Paul after. After Stephen, he was so zealous that he sought the high chief priest to expand his territory. And we see about how Damascus, he was on his way to Damascus, he saw Christ. We see the appearance of Christ to Saul. And this appearance to Saul is in all of the glory of Jesus Christ is there. And Saul had an absolute conversation with the Lord. And once again, I think it's important to note that that is the qualification of an apostle. There are people out there, they call themselves the Apostolic Church. There are vans around where it says, please come to the Apostolic Church and meet Apostle uh, Judy, whatever her name is. She's down in the city. There's a Debbie. There's some other ones I've seen, vans. And there's no apostles today. These, this Apostolic Commission was of, of a personal relationship, physical relationship, to actually speaking to the Lord. And so we see how Paul... He was an apostle and he would say, am am I not free to the Jews? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? This was his vocation. Can someone read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 8? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. I think we might have read that last week. I don't know if we stopped off here, but I, I think we should read it again even if we did. I mean, this is down the road in the in the letter to the Corinthians. Look at what Paul says here. First Corinthians fifteen one through eight. Paul calls himself one born out of due time. He was saying at one point, there was no thought of me ever becoming a Christian. We know Paul, he didn't decide to follow Jesus. The Lord chose him, and the Lord knocked him right on the ground. And Paul speaks about the apostolic commission. So, at this point, Paul, is at the, he was at the palace, and he had been preaching to them. What was the reaction? Lisey? Yeah, right. Was it any different than the reaction that uh, Stephen had received? No, there was gnashing of teeth, no doubt. People yelling, basically, as we move forward. As they cried out in verse twenty-three, they can't. They were so furious at what Paul had to say, taking them back to his work and how the Lord led him to, to be to be a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ. It says that they were so furious, and as they cried out and they cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And so, once again, Paul's Roman background is about to spare him again. We see here in Isaiah 24:23 that then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. And I what's so profound about that verse is the Jews at this point should have known these words and these prophecies that were in the Old Testament about the ushering in of the Gentiles. They totally rejected it. And the Lord had asked them many times, don't you remember in the Old Testament what I wrote, what was there? Basically, Christ's presence was a refulgent, lustrous light that is blinding. And that hit Paul, that is what happens when you're saved, and once you have it, you can never lose it. And isn't that wonderful? But you know, I think that's very important to to look here, to see that we go back. This is not something that was a new event. If you remember correctly, if we go back to Acts chapter 16, we see here picking up in verse 28, and I'd like to read to verse 40. Acts 16, verse 28 to 40. Can someone read that, please? This is a great story. We already went over this, but it's good to go back. Acts 16, 28 to 40.
1: And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and he was baptized, and he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set me before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, the magistrates have said to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly <laughs> unto them, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And
0: now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and come mm. them out. And the sergeant told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard the people. And when you read that. Thank you, Lisi. This is what happens again. Look at what happens here. Remember the event back here where Paul and Silas are in jail and all of a sudden the earthquake, earthquake happens. The Lord's opening up the jail for all of them to get out. And the Philippian jailer says, I haven't done my job. I just need to take a sword and kill myself. <laughs> I'm in bad shape because when the Romans get done with me, they're going to make a public display out of me. And Paul and Silas cry out and say, don't do it. Whatever you do, I mean, if you're anybody else, you're saying, hey, don't waste any time and then let him kill himself and run out of there. No, they stayed back, they witnessed to him, and they said, they didn't tell him, go into the synagogue or go into the church or go to some man and and make a confessional. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Saved from what? God's wrath. Saved from hell. That is what this is all about. And he tells them that, and so they're taken in, they're going into jail, they're released. And Paul says, uh-uh, Nuh-uh, no, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna own up to your own laws. I'm going to hold you at your own legislation. I'm a Roman. What right did you have to beat me and put me in jail? And here it, here it happens all over again. Look at what happens here. It says, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and scourge him. They wanted to beat him again. One thing you didn't do is you did not beat another Roman citizen. You didn't do that. So he goes all the way back to that again. And he says, and, and it says, and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? And uncondemned, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. This man, he's like, we can't do this. This is going to cause a real problem. One of the things they're worried about is the politics of it. They don't want to be beaten. They don't want to be thrown into those jails. They know how horrible they were. And Paul steps up and he tells them the truth. You can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. He says, I was a Roman citizen. So once again, they were about to scourge him. And at this point, How much more could Paul the Apostle take physically? He had already been stoned way back. He had been beaten. He had been left for dead. He had been beaten again here. And here they're about to take him and beat him all over again. I mean, how many times can you do this? And they're ready to do it all over again. And he says, no, I'm a Roman citizen. Well, Paul had no problem doing it before. But now he's a chosen vessel of Christ. He is a chosen vessel. Chosen, Christ does the choosing by calling us effectually. And here, once again, Christ is standing up, even with the Romans, and protecting him once again. It says, And the chief captain answered with a great sum, Obtained I this freedom? And Paul said, But I was free born." Then straightway they departed from him. I think that's incredible. Verse 29. They left him. With the the crying and the loud and the furious mobs and the riots that are all crying out, away with him, away with him, take him away from here. It's time to basically, the same thing they were saying was crucify him, crucify, take him away. They departed from him. That's of the Lord. He should have been dead by now. And so what happens here is they wind up now, they're going to start taking him and they're going to start presenting him to some of the different council. We see then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him, and the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. And then the next day, on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priest and all their council to appear, and brought Paul down and set him before them. So now he starts going through the Inquisition, <laughs> basically. He's now going to stand before Festus. He's going to stand before Felix and Agrippa. And then what we're going to see pretty soon here, probably in the next week or two, there's a, there's a coup, that 40 of the Jews. They have vowed and they have fasted and said, we're not going to open our mouths and put another morsel of food in it till he's dead. And then now we see Paul has family. We're going to see how he has a nephew. And this nephew keeps a really close eye out and finds out what's going on and exposes it to the Romans. And once again, the Lord protects him. And so all of this, because one man in the face of all these, these marauders, because he pronounced the name of Jesus Christ. That's how offensive the name of Jesus Christ is to those that hate him. So we're going to end there today. And next week we'll, go, we'll, we'll get started picking up the end of this chapter and going into chapter 23, Lord willing. I'm ask maybe, Matthew, could you close us this morning? Thank you.
1: mm mm-hmm.